there, true believers, and welcome to Simply Devotion, the podcast that is all about seeking Jesus on deeper theological levels, because he is worthy of all of our devotion. Welcome back to Simply Devotion, where we are looking in season two at a detailed blueprint of the world that Jesus lived in, the culture that Jesus lived in, the characters that Jesus interacted with, and the places Jesus did ministry. I am joined once again by our famed now podcaster, uh, co-host Jonathan Martin, who is really finding his stride in podcasting, not only in the act of podcasting, but in the planning of podcasting too. And his favorite segment of the life of Jesus, as we all know by now, is Jesus' ministry in Galilee. So Jonathan is going to just bring us deeper here in this third installment of A Deep Look of the man from Galilee, his time, his place, his life. Let's give Jonathan Martin a hand. (laughs) Thank you, Vinny, for that wonderful introduction. Uh, Just kind of a little bit of a reminder uh, for those who have been with us and maybe for those that are tuning in for the first time. We've been kind of journeying with Jesus after Jesus's baptism and spending some time in the wilderness getting tempted by Satan. Jesus returns to Nazareth, which is in the region of Galilee, and he tries to preach a sermon, but he gets kicked out. And we looked at that and, and every what Jesus was actually saying that caused him to get kicked out of, of the synagogue. And of so, his home synagogue. Not just his home synagogue, but his hometown, right? The people he didn't even... He literally couldn't show his face back in town. Yeah, they, they didn't want him around. So Jesus then moved from Nazareth and he goes to... Capernaum, and he kind of sets up his ministry home base in Capernaum. And of course, uh, Jesus is far more welcomed in Capernaum than he was in Nazareth. Now, we don't have any record that he repeated the sermon that he preached in Nazareth, uh, so maybe that has something to do with it. But uh, Jesus seems to have found favor among the people in uh, Capernaum. And so we started kind of looking at uh, stories of what happened in Jesus's ministry in Capernaum and in Galilee. And we took a look at uh, Vinny's favorite story of Mm -hmm. Jesus uh, calming the storm. Right. And uh, shortly after that, we took a look at uh, how Jesus um, helped out this demon-possessed man. Mm. Um, Mm. And Legion. 
and those two stories in reality are are connected right um and they show us that jesus has the power hmm. over these uncontrollable forces hmm. um of course jesus leaves that region and he kind of goes back to the other side of the lake and that's kind of where we pick up today uh, Jesus is now on the other side of the lake and we're in in Mark chapter 5 and all it tells us is that Jesus goes back to the other side. We don't really know where exactly this takes place, but most commentators agree that Jesus is back in Capernaum. So he, he leaves the, the region of the Gerasenes, he leaves the Decapolis, and he moves from the eastern side of the lake back up towards the western side of the lake, and he's back in Capernaum. It doesn't surprise us to find Jesus in the middle of a crowd. He's already, <laughs> uh, you know, there's already people who are like, you know what, we know you left, and we know you took a break, but we waited for you, we knew you'd be back. Another reason why it's safe to assume that this is Capernaum, right? Because Jesus found favor in Capernaum is kind of his home base. And if people are waiting for him to come back, chances are they knew that that's where Jesus was going to go back to. Right? Exactly. Was, uh, at Capernaum. And Jesus. several of the apostles or disciples at this point live in Capernaum, most right. notably Peter. Yes, exactly. So it's very, you know, it's very likely that these stories that we're going to look at today unpacked in in and around the region of, of Capernaum. So Jesus does what he usually does, right? And he begins to teach. Right. But as he's teaching, he gets interrupted by a man named Jairus. Jairus. Yes. Who is, uh, who is described by Mark as one of the uh, synagogue leaders. And we talked about that last time, right? We actually did. Uh, when we talked about uh, synagogue uh, a couple episodes ago, and we talked about who the synagogue leaders are, the synagogue rulers. And um, we talked about how they were kind of more like caretakers. You know, they were in charge of making sure that the synagogue was taken care of. They picked the readers. Um, but there's a little bit of a clue in the text that kind of tells us that he was more than just a caretaker. Okay. And the, and, and the clue that we're given is that he's not called the ruler of the synagogue or he's not hmm. called the leader of the synagogue. He's called, it, it, it's using the plural. So he is one of the leaders of the synagogues. So, so like an elder? So we're talking about multiple leaders, right? And we're talking about multiple synagogues. Oh. And so it seems as though he has an elevated status. Like he's above. a supervisor over synagogues. Exactly. So he is now this supervisor of synagogues. So he his job seems to be one of oversight. Mm. And and he is overseeing several synagogues, probably in some sort of committee. Right. So there's probably more than one of these guys and they're kind of overseeing multiple synagogues. Gotcha. Uh, and so he he's he's a little bit uh, higher in rank than your regular ruler of the synagogue. Um, and so uh, if this is true and I, and I believe it is, then this is a man of importance. And it probably explains why we're given his name. 
Hmm. <laughs> you know, people would have known who Jairus was. Right. Because um, he's like, he, he, yeah, he's a central figure in the region over these synagogues. Exactly. So we're given his name and w- people would have known who he was. And so, you know, this would have been a man of prominence. And so this guy shows up and it probably explains why he feels comfortable interrupting Jesus. Right? <laughs> you know, because Jesus is is there and he's speaking and he interrupts Jesus and he basically says, I need you to come with me. My daughter is sick. I need you to come heal her. But, but even that, John, is, is kind of interesting because we're identifying him as a leader of our many synagogues, as a regional leader, as a local personality in the religious world. Mm-hmm. And yes, it does show. I 100% agree. It shows why he would feel bold enough to interrupt what Jesus is doing. On the other hand, it seems to indicate some buy-in from the local synagogues or local Jews as to the rabbinic nature and even messianic nature of Jesus' ministry. It's almost like Mark is implying by this important religious leader being interested in the ministry of Jesus, that Jesus has got a favorable eye at the moment. You're absolutely right. All, all of that makes sense. Um, why would somebody of this importance uh, go to just some random guy, right? Uh, it shows, <laughs> yeah. It shows yes, that Jesus's fame is growing. He is becoming more and more of a household name. And because of that, people, including prominent people, are going to Jesus. Um, so, of course, the guy tells Jesus what's going on. And Jesus wastes no time. He immediately goes with Jairus uh, to to see what's up with his daughter. Is this sort of like when, like, one of the Hillsong pastors, like, immediately go to one of the celebrities? Like, you know, like the yeah. whole Justin Bieber comes to our church kind of thing. He gets premier service. I don't know if, if, if Jesus is seeing it as premier service, but Jesus definitely thought that it was valuable enough for him to drop what he's doing mm-hmm. and going with Jairus, probably because Jesus is going to use this mm-hmm. as a teaching moment. Um, and so uh, I don't necessarily see it as Jesus giving, you know, important dudes favor as much as Jesus is seeing this as an opportunity to teach a lesson. I 100% agree with you, but it's worth exploring it because it could be seen that way. Yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, And at the end of the day, you know, we're speculating and we're speculating Mm -hmm. based on what we know about Jesus. Mm -hmm. So they're on their way to Jairus's house. And as they're traveling over to Jairus's house, we're introduced to a woman, a new character in the narrative. Uh, And it seems as though this woman was kind of following Jesus and and Jairus, and she was hiding among a crowd that's also following uh, these two people. And Mark tells us that the woman had a bleeding problem. Hmm. And this was 
That sounds chronic, weird. Yeah, it was a chronic bleeding problem because he tells us that it has persisted for 12 years. Whoa. This woman is, is bleeding for 12 years. Now, some people might think of a person bleeding and think, well, do they have a gash on their body? And they're just kind of, the blood is just mm. oozing out. Like, is that the bleeding problem that's taking place here? Uh, it's unlikely that it's some sort of cut or a gash. You know, it's unlikely that, you know, there's a knife stuck in her. And, you know, be, and the reason um, those things are unlikely is because those things could have been healed by the physicians of the time. And the text right. tells us that this woman literally spends all her money trying to fix this bleeding problem. So it's not like a cut. It's not a gash. Uh, this is a different type of bleeding problem. And it was probably related to a woman's menstrual bleeding cycle. And that's been going on for 12 years. That has to, I mean, in any day and age, that's going to cause a lot of problems. But... Right. I'm kind of remembering that Jews have some hangups in this area. They do. If you look in the Torah, right, the Old Testament law, again, this is the Torah is super important for the Jewish people. And so right. when, you, when you look at what the Torah has to say, you realize that there is a bleeding problem that does affect or could affect Jewish women that has religious implications. So when we look at Leviticus 15, uh, verses 25 through 27, it says that when a woman has a discharge of blood for many days at a time, other than her monthly period, or has a discharge that continues beyond her period, she will be unclean as long as she has the discharge, just as in the days of her period. Any bed she lies, now listen to this, any bed she lies on while her discharge continues will be unclean, as is her bed during her monthly period. And anything she sits on will be unclean as during her period. Anyone who touches them will be unclean. They must wash their clothes and bathe with water and they will be unclean till evening but 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 that's why the bleeding is going on but in her case the bleeding doesn't stop so there's no way to get clean again like and, and this is ceremonially unclean so Correct. this is like a spiritual kind of uncleanness Yes, yes. And in order to and so normally, you know, a woman would go through her menstrual cycle. And um, after seven days, uh, she would go to the temple, she would offer uh, a sacrifice, and she would become clean again, and she could participate in, in, in their social life in their religious life. But this woman has had a bleeding problem for 12 years, which implies that one day she started bleeding and it didn't stop. It just. Kept and no one can have contact with her because then they would become ceremony unclean as well. Exactly. Not only could her husband not touch her if she had children, they couldn't touch her. No affection from your husband, no affection from your children. You don't want to go out in public because other people probably by now know that this is a situation going on with her. She's never returned to the temple to offer her sacrifice. So she's 
still with this problem. So now just going out in public, people don't want to be around her. Anything she touches. So if she goes to the marketplace, right? If she picks up an apple or if she picks up a, a container, right? All of a sudden that becomes unclean. She has to basically buy it, right? Because nobody is going to want that back. So this woman, by nature of her condition, becomes ceremonially unclean. Let's, and- let's unpack that a little bit because some of our listeners will be from a tradition that may understand what ceremonially unclean would be. Mm-hmm. And then some of our listeners, you know, they won't be as familiar with Old Testament mosaic Torah regulations. So when we say ceremonially unclean, there are many things in the Old Testament that made you ceremonially unclean. Touching a dead animal made you ceremonially unclean. Um, Any contact with an animal that's considered unclean, like a pig, makes you unclean. Um, Blood or male discharges as well Mm -hmm. made you ceremonially unclean. Um, they're just sort of like anything fluid related made you ceremonially unclean. And then you had to clean and you had to wait. Now, this is a spiritual uncleanliness to be ceremonially unclean, mm-hmm. probably related to some health practices. Maybe, I don't know, because they didn't have like systems in place for health that we may have. So they're worried about touching various animals or different emissions from the body Right. And so there's a there may be a health component to this, but even over on top of that health component, rightly or wrongly interpreted is this idea that if these things have happened to you, even though they're normal, you're somehow spiritually affected by them. Am I do am I under am I summarizing that well enough for for newbies to the concept? Yes. And I think a lot of yes, you're right. So there's this idea that um, there are activities that you can engage in that makes you ceremonially unclean. But yes, here when it talks about discharges or fluids or or a flow of blood, um, that makes you unclean. And yes, it could be for health reasons. Um, it could also be this idea, particularly when it comes to blood, uh, the, the Torah says that life is in the blood. Mm, and, so, and so uh, if blood is is coming out of out of your body, it's a sign that there's something wrong. Mm. Right. And it points mm. back ultimately to Eden. Right. Mm-hmm. That sin has caused all things that are wrong to occur in this world. Mm-hmm. And so um, so with her problem, it is religiously speaking. Right. She's acknowledging that part of what's happening is something that sin has caused. And because sin is causing this, then I need to become ceremonially clean again and so it's this process of going to the temple which all points to jesus who ultimately makes all things clean gotcha gotcha very good so this woman she's been dealing with this for 12 years jesus is on his way to heal this other man's child right and there's this woman she's been dealing with this for 12 years she i'm assuming would have exhausted most of her resources in 12 years, right? So she's kind of yes. desperate, right? Right. 
She's she's very desperate, as a matter of fact. And the fact that we're introduced to Jairus and shortly afterwards we're introduced to this woman is a way that the author, Mark, is he's kind of comparing these two people. Okay. Uh, literarily speaking, this woman sticks out because she's the opposite of Jairus. Mm. We know Jairus's name. We don't know this woman's name. She's just a woman. Right? Uh, Jairus is a man of social and religious prominence. She's unclean. Yes, the woman is a social and religious outcast. Mm. Jairus's position makes him wealthy. Mm. Whereas the woman's condition makes her poor. She spent all her money. Exactly. Jairus can freely walk up to Jesus, but this woman chooses to hide from Jesus. Wow. So in this story, there is a clear contrast between Jairus and the woman. This is gripping. Yeah. They're like polar opposites being drawn to the same magnet. Right. Exactly. And so this woman feels as though she is not worthy to walk up to Jesus again because she is unclean. And if she touches Jesus, if she touches other people, right, um, then she would make those other people clean. Everything she touches, everything she comes into contact with becomes unclean. But how is she going to come into contact with Jesus? So she wants to do it secretly. She doesn't want people to call her out. She doesn't want people to recognize her and maybe tip Jesus off of who she is. Right, because wouldn't they like yell like back in those days? Like I, I think about the the lepers are unclean. They would just yes. yell, "Unclean, unclean! Watch out! There's someone unclean!" Right? Ex- exactly. And so you would have to. Uh, it was obligatory for you to announce that you're an unclean person, which gave other people an opportunity to. Get out of the way, right? Just so get she's out creeping of up on Jesus, and, and she is right. She is she somehow she becomes convinced that Jesus can heal her, probably because she's hearing about all these different things that Jesus is doing. But the social norms are preventing her from going up and asking Jesus to be healed. And so this woman then grabs on to this other idea. And the idea is, if I can only touch his clothes, then Mm. I could be healed. Now, number one, she really shouldn't be touching his clothes. Right, because Uh, she would be making him unclean. Because that would make Jesus unclean. And who wants to be the one to make the popular rabbi (laughs) Rabbi. unclean? So popular that the the ruler over all the synagogues is seeking his help. And and before he could even help the ruler of all the synagogues, this poor, unclean woman made him have to go away and bathe. Right. Yeah, exactly. And again, they may even be connecting the fact that Jesus is able to do all these miraculous things because he has remained pure and undefiled. Right, right. So, so, yeah, the the rabbinical teachings would be that the more righteous, the more you uphold the fences around the fences and the rules and the laws, the more the more favor you would gain with God. And so they you are right. I get it. They're looking at this rabbi, this rabbi in Galilee, and he's able to do these miracles. And they're hearing about the legion that got cast out and the storm that got stopped and 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 the demon in the Capernaum 
uh, synagogue and all in and, and the healing and in Peter's home and all those things that happened in Galilee. And they're thinking, this is a super, super, super holy dude. Don't mess him up. Don't don't don't, don't shake his uh, holy streak. Right. Exactly. And so there is a common superstition at this time and among these people that a person's power is transferred to their clothes. So just like an unclean person can transfer their uncleanness to their clothes or to anything they touch, there's this idea that a a powerful person or a righteous person can transfer their righteousness to their clothes. So reversing it. Yeah, exactly. And so in her mind, she's like, well, I don't know if I'm going to make him unclean or not, but he might make me clean. (laughs) My best chance is to touch his clothes. Right. And so she, she walks up behind Jesus and she just touches the, the, the hem of his garment and her plan works. Mm. She instantly feels in her body Mm. that she is healed. Right. Of course, just as the woman feels in her body that she is healed, Jesus feels in his body that power has gone out. And so Jesus stops dead in his tracks. Hmm. He stops what he's doing and he looks around and he asks, who touched me? So he knows. He knows. But, you know, like on TikTok, we would call her an international super spy. That's a whole trend. <laughs> That's a, tr- a TikTok trend where, where, where people are international super spies and they, you know, this is a whole music that goes with it, but she is a super spy. She's like hiding and she's like sneaking and she's like going to get her healing on and get out. And she's thinking he's never going to know <laughs> his right. righteousness is going to be transferred to me. I'm going to sneak out the back. I'm going to be like, honey, I'm home and I'm better, you know, but he notices. Right. He feels power has gone out for someone's benefit, for someone's good. He stops, he looks around and he says, who touched me? Of course, the disciples, they're thinking, Jesus, you're crazy. Like, who <laughs> hasn't touched you? You're Look in a at crowd. this <laughs> Everybody's trying to get as close to you as possible. Like, who hasn't touched you? Jesus. Jairus, he's probably thinking, uh, why are we stopping? We need <laughs> what is to- going on here? I, I got to get home. Yeah. We need to get to my house. We need to heal my daughter. Remember, that's the whole reason we started walking in this direction. <laughs> and then the woman who hears this is probably thinking, Jesus is mad because I made him unclean. I can just hear my eight-year-old saying, busted yeah yeah exactly <laughs> busted right exactly and and jesus insists the text the text strongly shows us that jesus insists on figuring out who touched him he is not going to take one more step towards jairus's house until he figures out who is the one that touched him i bet she's terrified the Bible says that she's terrified. It See, uses I got it word, right. right? <laughs> it says that she's terrified. This woman comes forward and tells Jesus everything. Confession is good for the soul. 
Right. And then she's probably waiting for a rebuke, probably mm-hmm. waiting for this holy man to tell her off for touching him. How about Jairus? <laughs> I, I, I bet she's like, Jesus is going to be like, you touched me. And, and, and now I can't go to Jairus's house. And, and now I got to go home and make an offering and bathe. And, you know, this kid's going to die. And, and Jairus is going to stand up. And I'm a religious leader in this territory. And now my kid's going to die because of you. Why would you do it? Right? Like, I'm right. sure she's bracing for that. Yeah, absolutely. And, of course, Jesus says to the woman, your faith has healed you. It's not superstition. It's not touching his clothes. It's not magic. It's faith. The faith of a super spy? She crept in there. She sneaked in there. Like She believed in who Jesus was enough to know that he had the ability to heal her. Maybe this is why we can't judge people from the outside, right? Mm-hmm. Because we don't know what's going on on the inside. On the outside, she looks like an international super spy. She's creeping. She's creeping up on Jesus. She's creeping between disciples. I, in my mind, I can see this woman in a shawl covering her head, ducking in and out, in and out, in and out, grasping for his robe. Jesus moving to the left, to the right. And the disciple getting in the way. And she's creeping behind. She's creeping behind. She's trying to touch and run, you know? Right. And then she's busted. And then he's like, you weren't creeping. You were faithing. That's yes. not a word, but she was practicing faith. Yeah. Yeah. Instead of rebuke, it's almost praise. Actually, it is praise. Your faith has healed you. It's coming from Jesus. So I'm, you know, if I would love Jesus to comment on my faith in a positive sense. I mean, like. <laughs> yeah. Now, the word that Jesus used for heal is the Greek word sozo. I know that word. That's an important word. It is a very important word because the word is kind of like, uh, has a double meaning. It can mean physical healing, just like we see what happened to this woman, right? She had this blood flow problem and it stopped. She was physically healed, right? Mm -hmm. Sozo. Sozo. Sozo also has a spiritual dimension to it. And it can also mean spiritual salvation or spiritual healing as well. Paul uses it, right? Yeah. Yeah. And and so it's this it's this double meaning of physical healing and spiritual healing. They're they're combined, they're they're together. And so the goal of miracle healings is not just physical wholeness. It's also about spiritual wholeness as well. It's about, it's about helping people understand that, yes, it's important to be physically whole because God wants us to be physically whole, but more so. He wants to fix the brokenness of sin that has caused us to separate from him so that we can truly have an unhindered, unrestricted, 
relationship with the with our creator. So her faith has made her so-so. Her faith has made her healed. Her faith has made her whole. Her yes. faith has made her saved from her condition, but with also like a spiritual elevation to it. Mm-hmm. She is whole, not just physically. She is She's now complete. whole spiritually, which ultimately makes her complete. Right. But Jairus's daughter is still dying. Yeah. Jairus's daughter is still dying. And as a matter of fact, the Bible, the way Mark tells the story, he makes it seem that just as these words, your faith has healed you, are coming out of Jesus' mouth, people show up and they're talking to Jairus and telling him, your daughter died. Whoa, 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 whoa. So this poor guy, he was there first, got the line cut on him. <laughs> and, and then Jesus, like, just sort of lily-dallies around to have this, like, spiritual enlightening conversation with this line cutter. Mm-hmm. And Jairus's daughter literally dies. She's just not, it's, like, she's dead. She's not, like, like. It's this is not even like, hey, you gotta hurry up. We're we're running out of time. It's it's like the game is over. Yeah. Dead dead. I'm gonna be mad. I I mean, I don't know. The Bible doesn't tell us how Jairus was feeling, but yeah, all these different thoughts are probably going through his mind. I don't like line cutters. No, nobody does. (laughs) Nobody likes line cutters. But People from Jairus's house, they show up, they find Jairus, they tell him, look, your daughter's dead. And not only do they tell him that he is dead, but they basically say, stop bothering Jesus. <laughs> like, so, th- so there's I- nothing, there's nothing that Jesus can do here. Let's just go home so we can mourn the death of your daughter. It's not fair. And, and I just, you know, it's just really not fair. I mean, he was there first. <laughs> Jesus was on his way. Like, I expect Jesus to be a little bit better at being a referee of personal needs. Mm. Like you said, we don't know how he's feeling, but, but I would feel like my daughter got chucked to the ditch mm-hmm. for this woman who didn't even have a right to be in that crowd. Mm. For this woman who put everything at risk, everyone at risk, put put the spiritual status of the rabbi at risk. And now I find out not only was she callous and careless, she inadvertently caused the death of my daughter. I don't know. I'm, you're going to have to walk us through this because I'm kind of seeing this as not being fair. And if there's somebody, you know, if we expect someone to be fair, it's God. Mm-hmm. Right. And I think Jesus is going to be fair here. As a matter of fact, in order to comfort Jairus, because Jairus, he's ready to just leave, right? Yeah. His daughter's dead. They're telling me that she's dead. They're telling me don't bother Jesus anymore. By the way, really, Jesus can't do anything else because, again, a dead person is unclean. So Jesus can't go near her dead, Uh. his dead daughter anymore. Right? So we mess. have this this other unclean thing now. What a mess! And so 
what is Jesus going to do? He can't go there without without making himself susceptible to uncleanness. So Jairus is like, that's it. I, I mean, what else is there to do? I, I, I got to go. I'm not going to force the rabbi to, I'm not like this woman. Yeah, 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 yeah. I'm not like this woman. I'm not going to force the rabbi to go and, and, and go near my daughter. And so what we have here is now Jesus needs to comfort Jairus. Hmm. And what he says is, don't be afraid. Mm-hmm. Just believe. Now, John, I'm a pastor. You're, you, you've been a pastor. Even though you think you're an educator and you are an educator, we both know your primary calling is pastoring. Don't worry. Your students won't listen to that line. Um, <laughs> here's the thing. I've comforted a lot of people who have lost a loved one. I, and I'm going to assume you have too. I've told a lot of people not to be afraid, but I've never told them just believe and the things that have happened won't affect you anymore. Hmm. I mean, like all of my training tells me to move them towards acceptance and processing what has happened and never to say it's going to be okay. Hmm. And yet when we take Jesus's words in context, we see that Jesus was able to face the uncontrollable storm and mm. one, and he was <laughs> able to face the uncontrollable spirit and one, the uncontrollable mob in Nazareth and one, right? <laughs> he just walked and, through them as you pointed out. And, and just now, we see that Jesus was able to take an uncontrollable sickness and win. And so when he says, don't be afraid, just believe, I believe that he is basically using the woman that he just healed as an example to Jairus, because the woman had to conquer her fear to get to Jesus. And it was the woman's faith, i.e. belief, that healed her. And so Jesus is telling Jairus, be like the woman we just met. Don't be afraid. Just believe. You know, I might be getting to understand why you like these Galilee stories. <laughs> they're great. And there's so much depth in there when we when we when we begin to to unpack these. And I think Jairus was starting to get the picture because he goes. He doesn't no, say true. He, he, he doesn't say he doesn't say to Jesus, no, my daughter's unclean. You know, you shouldn't be going near her. Like, this is a lost cause. Just go back to what you were doing. No, he he's just like, all right, let's go. <laughs> Let, let's, let's see what you're going to do. Let's see what you're going to do now. <laughs> you know, and, all right. uh, I, I'm, I'm here for the ride. Let's go check this out. Now, imagine. That's exactly what he might have. He might have just left Jesus had it not been hmm. for the woman who showed up. Hmm. Oh, right. So so they they would have still come to him and said someplace along the path, your daughter's dead. Right. And then he would have had nothing to base his faith on. 
I hear you. I hear you. And I like it. But maybe without the woman interrupting the past, maybe they would have made it on time. It's true. This is all speculative. We don't know. We don't know. But what we do know is that Jairus heard enough and he saw enough Mm. to go with Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So, So what I'm hearing, what I'm seeing is if God means there to be a disruption in the process of restoring our lives or if the disruption happens happenstancely God is powerful enough to meet all disruptions right he's the God who controls the uncontrollable right we, we, we don't have to say God is the author of our chaos hmm. to say God is the controller of the chaos Mm-hmm. If he intended it at this juncture or not. Right. Perfect. Exactly. So Jairus goes with Jesus. They get to his house. And Mark says that Jesus saw a commotion and people were crying and, and wailing loudly. Now, this was actually customary. Uh, it was customary for people to hire professional mourners mm-hmm. when when someone died. Right. Um, as a matter of fact, it was required by oral tradition to right. have to have at least two flute players and one woman wailer. Right. So <laughs> like this is what the rabbis are. You know, like that's the oral law, right? Yeah, that was the bare minimum. Two Two flute players players. and one wailing woman. (laughs) (laughs) So odd. (laughs) You know, it is odd, but but it's it's kind of how they felt like they needed to process death. Now, um, these, uh, so yes, the flute players were there to offer music. Then there were, you know, there were what were called lamenters, which was usually a group of women who cried together at the same time and then you had the wailers which is kind of like a single woman who leads out in a cry and then the other wailers echo back the same cry so it was this kind of this process that they went through for grieving Mm -hmm. Uh, and it was these people were in charge of helping people process their grief Mm -hmm. but they weren't necessarily family they weren't necessarily friends they were hired people, right? Um, they were just people that just showed up and not necessarily emotionally invested in what had happened. And we actually know that these people weren't emotionally invested because Jesus says to the mourners, he's like, why all this commotion and wailing? The child is not dead, but asleep. That's and, when and when he says that, well, yeah, so... Jesus, traditionally in the Gospels, he refers to death as asleep. We see the same thing in John chapter eleven with Lazarus. When he oh said, yeah, he's not dead, but but he's asleep. Mm-hmm. He said to his disciples, and the disciples were just kind of like, mm-hmm. I don't know, like what? <laughs> because for Jesus, death is not a period; it is a comma. Hmm. Profound. For Jesus. Death is something that people experience 
but it's not the end. Hmm. There is a resurrection. Hmm. And so that's why Jesus refers to death as asleep. And of course, the professional mourners hear this and they laugh at Jesus. Hmm. Now, this shows us two things, right? The fact that they can go from crying and wailing and mourning to laughing. I mean, it just shows the superficiality of their grief. Right. They're they're clearly just professionals who are just trying to. And this is the second thing. They're just there for the money. Jairus didn't hire them. They were just they just showed up. Well, he's a wealthy, influential guy, right? So they're like the panhandler of grievers, right? They're like, (laughs) so they're just like, they're opportunists. Yeah, we're going to show up. We're going to start the grieving process and he's going to have to pay us anyway. Uh, And and, and how could this important figure, politically and and wealthy dude, not pay people who showed up to mourn his daughter? Right. The only reason he wouldn't have to pay them is if she wasn't dead. Dun, 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 dun. <laughs> I see a plot twist coming. But the Bible actually tells us he reaches out and he grabs the hand of this dead girl. And so he actually makes physical contact with something that is unclean. But he's already been touched by something unclean and overcame it, right? Mm. So now it's like, is this even going to work? Or or did that experience make him unclean? And now he can't bring so now he can't do any more miracles because now he's unclean. And now he's touching, uncle- you know, there's so many thoughts here. But but right? I, I see him up in the ante. Like, like, like I, I just see him as taking it as a challenge, right? Like, <laughs> I think like, you're right. She touched my cloak and it didn't make me unclean. Now I'm going to make skin to skin contact. I'm going to really show them how powerful I am. Right. No, I think you're absolutely right. Because at the end of the day, Jesus is not concerned about ceremonial uncleanness. Mm, He transcends it. Touching unclean people does not make Jesus unclean. It makes unclean people whole. Because his cleanliness exceeds their uncleanliness. Exactly. He's a cleansing agent. It's like... You can't make Mr. Clean dirty. Right. And so Jesus is ultimately, here's a a physical example of Jesus being the fulfillment of the temple services. Right. Moses, Moses, who is the guy who set up Torah, both Moses and Aaron, and I'll throw Elijah in for a good mix. If, If either of these things happen to them, they're unclean. Exactly. But Jesus exceeds those who gave the law. Jesus exceeds those who practice the law. Jesus exceeds those who proclaim the law. He is what the law pointed to. Exactly. And so he fulfills, right? The whole point of Completes. All, those, all the whole point of those priests mm. and and the temple rules and and all those things of uncleanness was to help people who come into contact with sin to wash away the uncleanness that comes through contact with sin. Mm. But Jesus is the physical embodiment of all the temple services. 
And not only is he not going to become unclean by touching a dead body, he is going to bring that dead body back to life. <laughs> wow. Wow. <laughs> So Jesus says to the dead child, little girl, I say to you, get up. He's talking to a dead girl as if she can hear words. But like her heart doesn't beat. There is no blood flowing to her head. Her brain cannot process. Her ears, the vibration may be in them, but there's nothing going on in the mental synopsis to interpret those vibrations and yet as the bible describes it she immediately stands up and begins to walk around how because that's a good question how how this, this is actually this story is the the culmination of a series of stories that help us understand who Jesus actually is not by his teachings but by what he does his action his power exactly and so in calming the storm, we see that Jesus is God. In casting out demons, we see that Jesus is Redeemer. In curing sickness, we see that Jesus is Healer. And so in raising the dead, we see that Jesus is Life Giver. And so... If we've been journeying with Jesus this entire time, which we have for the past three episodes, when we get to this moment, it's obvious. Jesus is able to do this because Jesus is not just a rabbi. He's not just a well-known teacher. Jesus... Mm is the Christ, hmm. the son of the living God. It's like, it's like I'm watching a rerun. It's, it, it's, it's like, it's like I've seen this happen before. It's like there is a story in Torah, like there's a story where God is leaning over this dead pile of dust that can't respond that can't think and he breathes into it and it's Adam hmm. and it just gets up and starts naming animals and walking through the garden and saying I'm lonely it you, you, you know, it's like the same thing. She is like, there's no spark there. She's just a shell until the logos, until the life. Hmm. 
speaks. The same life that spoke in the beginning, the same life that gave, the same breath that gave life to the first man can give life to whoever he speaks into. Mm. And this is why, this is why we take the time to understand who Jesus was. And is. His, his, and is, right? We take the time to see Jesus in these stories. Mm. And by doing so, we can come to the same conclusion that John came to at the end of his gospel. I write these things so that you may know hmm. that Jesus is the Christ, the Son of God. Well, John, I'm glad we took this journey through Galilee. I'm glad we took three full episodes to focus on these amazing stories in Galilee. And I hope our listeners will be encouraged to look at these stories and not just see them as stories they've heard before, but to engage these stories. To look at the subtext of the text. To think, how would you feel if if you had a demon stuck in you that was destroying you? How would you feel if your ship was going down? Even, how would you feel if your family, your hometown, and even your home synagogue rejected you. Hmm. How would you feel if for 12 years you've been begging God to save your life and you only have one shot left? How would you feel if all your power, all your wealth, all your religiosity and influence couldn't get the healer to your daughter in time. Mm. And then realize these are the stories that are given to us for us to process in parallel stories that Jesus is still living with us through. I think that's the power of Galilee. It's the power of Jesus in Galilee. You have been listening to a podcast produced by simplyvinny.com. Stop by our website, read our blog. Check us out on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, TikTok, and all that jazzy promotional stuff.
But remember, I'm the podcaster that likes to remind you when life throws a monkey wrench at your head. Jesus is still the logo, the reason, the logic, the word that builds your life back all the way to the kingdom of God. Until next time, God will be blessing you. See you at the next podcast.